It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is FM 104's Select Irish Podcast. Select Irish on F104 and lots of people are going to be celebrating the best of Irish artists leading up to Paddy's Day. But what does it take for an Irish artist to go global? To tell me more, I'm joined by lecturer at IADT in Dunleary, Dr. Michael Murphy. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you so much for chatting to us. So tell us a little bit about your own journey within the music industry. Well, I grew up obsessed with music. Mm. It, it was the most important force in my life. And my older brother was into David Bowie. So I, you know, we were listening to David Bowie obsessively in, in you know, in our garage room at Dean's Grange was mm-hmm. a shrine to Bowie. Cool. Punk came along. That became our new obsession. And then I just went to see every band, Louise, that I could in Dublin. And there came a stage, I, I went to college. I was really lucky. I'd worked in a record shop in Dunleary. One of the customers then became the ENS officer in Trinity College. Mm -hmm. So I started helping him. He was putting on the gigs by bands, you know, Hothouse Flowers, Cry Before Dawn, and then bringing over, he put put on like the first Pogues tour of Ireland, Uh, you know, was run by students. So suddenly I was in the music industry accidentally. (laughs) And then I went to the Reading Festival in 1989 and I never came home. Wow. Yeah, I just thought... All the bands that I love, a lot of them don't come to Ireland. Yeah. And, you know, was I was listening to kind of sub pop. So I was aware of Nirvana early on. I thought they might never come to Ireland. So I'll go to England and I'll see a whole load of bands before I get too old mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stop going to gigs. And then I just got very lucky. I, Richard Branson hired me and I ended up working for him. And then I worked for another record label. And I got to tour with the Foo Fighters. I got to tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then I started um, my own music management company and got lucky with that and retired in my 30s and came back to Ireland um, for the Oxygen Music Festival in 2006. And I've been here ever since. I'd say you've seen a couple of changes that has happened to the music industry in that time. Has there been any main ones, though? Actually, good point. Because I grew up in the punk rock era, it was a bunch of people who maybe didn't have conventional talent, Mm -hmm. you know, measured by, are they a virtuoso? Mm -hmm. But they were just young people with attitudes and with something to say. And the great thing about punk was that the music was really exciting to people like me. But a lot of them were doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. They weren't waiting for a record label to say, oh, yeah, Sonny, you could be the next star. They were putting out their own records. They were silk screening their own T-shirts. Like there was a real sense of possibility. So I saw that happening and that was thrilling. And then I was there when, when hip hop started, you know, becoming a global force. I was able to see those bands early on. Very cool. Mm. Yeah, like, you know, to see people like Public Enemy on their first show. Wow. You know, their first show in Ireland was at the Trinity Ball. 
to uh, you know a bunch of people in long dresses and, wow. and dinner jackets. Um, so I I was really really lucky that music was very interesting, and I got to see people like Pearl Jam mm-hmm. on their first album, Rage Against the Machine, Nirvana were kind of the reason I emigrated. But I noticed that the bands that tended to have long careers were bands that understood subcultures mm-hmm. that maybe they came from a small scene. And after I emigrated, a couple of people I knew that they were younger than me, they thought loads of these bands don't come to Ireland. And famously, they got in touch with Green Day and they said, we think you're really good. Will you come to Ireland? And Green Day's people said, oh, yeah, that would be cool. Like, how much money would you give us to come to Ireland? They said, well, we don't have any money, <laughs> but we'd love you to come. And Greenberg said, well, so you don't have any money, but you want us to come. And, you know, they, they were youngsters, Sam. They yeah. were young. They were teenagers and Donny Kern. And they said, look, we'll put on the gig. We'll pay for all the posters. We'll pay for your car ferry, because it was in those days. Mm-hmm. And we'll give you any money we make. And Green Day famously said yes. Wow. So Green Day's first Irish show that they talk about every time they're doing, you know, like Marley Park or whatever they'll say, we'll never forget our first gig in Ireland because it meant a lot to them, Louise. Yeah. And, you know, it was a band from California being able to go to different countries early in their career. So that's been part of my my learning throughout my, my career in the music industry. And now I get to write a, and lecture about it is that's often the bands who are who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do do things themselves that have the longest careers. So that's what I've seen. Yeah. And then I've lived long enough. I'm, I'm 60 now, or close to it. And I've seen that the industry get very corporate, which, mm-hmm. which you know, there are always trends, there are always cycles. And now David Bowie or Elton John wouldn't get a record deal. Bruce Springsteen might get a record deal, but he'd be dropped after his first album. You know, there's pressure on artists to be instantly successful. So they have a global hit. Yeah. That that kind of comes to the question then, are you better having a record deal or are you better being independent? Because I suppose that's always what an artist is kind of working with, really, isn't it? You're, you're so right that that's the absolute key question. And I've always advised bands, if you think that you're going to be a lifelong career musician, do something on your own first. Yeah. Start your own record label. Put down your out your own record. And then when the record labels, the major record labels want to sign you, you will know what they do, but you'll understand what they don't do. And you've got to be a little business, I think, Louise, mm-hmm. to, to be successful. Every... Every singer, every artist, every DJ, they're a little business. And the major labels are really, really good at pouring at pouring petrol on a fire. Mm-hmm. But they're not great at that, the little... Igniting that. Sparks, mm-hmm. exactly. At, mm-hmm. at, the, at the initial little bit of, of spark that needs kind of careful, careful care. Mm-hmm. So my advice is, look, if you want to be a global superstar, do something on your own initially. And then you're you're very qualified. Now, if, if you want to be a superstar, it's very difficult if you're not on a major label. Yeah, but you need that push. I, I think, and, mm. yeah, and I think this is something that you've spoken about before, is that Ireland 
we've got so many talented artists mm -hmm. and I don't think it's ever been better, to be honest. I, I think we've got a golden generation of brilliant Irish talent, but we don't have an industry that really supports them or that has a clear and obvious pathway to bringing that young emerging talent to worldwide record deals. Yeah, so I think we've got brilliant artists, but not a great music industry. And you've spoken before about um, the journey, I suppose, the likes of Westlife had and Boyzone. How did they succeed? Brilliant, brilliant uh, question. And Boyzone, you know, famously, it's, it's Louis Walsh. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Louis didn't have much money. Mm -hmm. And he was known for for being a grafter, for doing his best, for being innovative. But he didn't have a quarter of a million pounds or half a million pounds that, that you might need to start an act like that because they're not going to be playing the punk rock clubs or, or the mm -hmm. small hip hop venues. Mm -hmm. with, with a boy band, it's, it's either big or non-existent. Like you've got to be huge. And he was very, very lucky that the, he was able to get some media support when he was doing these auditions. Now, I, I, I say auditions in inverted commas because mm -hmm. the auditions were kind of fake. They were kind of staged. They were a brilliant part of the story mm -hmm. because the, the journalist in, in the evening newspapers was able to say, oh my gosh, I saw so many talented guys strutting their stuff in the club. This is going to be amazing. But then later, you know, she quite openly admitted they were rubbish. They were embarrassing. Oh, there no. weren't many of them. And the people who were there were just shaking their heads. But Louis was very lucky that there was someone at a major label in Ireland who thought, you know what? I could spend a few bob and we could get a video maker. We could get a great producer. Mm -hmm. We'll get the producer who, who produced Take That. We'll, we'll get choreographers. We'll get a video made. So there was someone at a major label in Ireland who had a bit of a vision and thought, this could work. This could work. And I'm happy to fund it. But the really funny thing is that he then got in trouble with his bosses in England who said, what are you doing spending money on a band? That's our job in London. You, Your job is just in Ireland, just sell the records. Mm -hmm. Your function is marketing. It's not developing the scene. So there was a whole load of very, very lucky circumstances behind Boyzone. And the really funny thing is that the local branch of, of the record label got in trouble for for delivering this global superstar to, to the record label. It's mad, isn't it? It's a mad um, situation. And I suppose, again, it kind of brings you back to how the, the Irish musician can become global. Like, it's quite difficult, isn't it? I, I think it, it's hard now. You, you have to be ambitious. You have to be very, very driven. And, you know, obviously then we're on the map because of Boyzone. They become yeah. a global sensation. They never break America. And I think that's because they couldn't dance. Mm, it, it, it's as funny as that sounds. Yeah, because there was five and, at the time and there was NSYNC. Yeah. So they were all, you know, big dancing bands. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They were slick. They were choreographed. Mm. You know, they were, to me, they were like the, the, the K-pop or the J-pop bands now mm -hmm. where, you know, they had almost gone to school 
for five years 100%. to be ready. Yeah. Whereas our lads, they were they were have a go heroes and they weren't quite at that level. And then but but we're on the map and we're selling records and, and we're successful. And then Westlife, what people forget or, or they don't acknowledge, is that Westlife did so much of the work themselves. Before Louis got involved, mm-hmm. you know, they were playing in Sligo, doing boy band covers. But mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that if, if that's your audience. And they were in the musical Greece, I think, when they were in school. Oh, wow. So they were getting experience in what the music industry demanded. So I think we don't give credit to, to boy bands. We see them as, oh, they're just, they're just puppets. Mm-hmm. And there's a Sven Galli. But there's often really, really savvy young people um, making loads of decisions, doing lots of work themselves before they get noticed. Yeah, and this is the thing. It is the people that put in all the work before. Then it then it looks easy. Then it looks like they just were handed it when in fact they've been working a long time trying to get to that point. Yeah, you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. And Enya, to, to me, Enya, because it's important that Ireland has delivered female musicians to the world market. And we've been more successful at getting Irish female voices heard on radio globally than we have on getting our, our male voices. Mm. But, you know, when you think of Sinead O'Connor, yeah, Enya, mm. and, and then Dolores with the Cranberries, um, I think people people don't realise how successful Enya is because she doesn't have a high profile. She doesn't tour. I think she's the most successful artist who hasn't toured. You know, she wow. sold more records in the States than Janet Jackson. And to me, Janet Jackson's a superstar. Yeah, 100%. She sold more records in the States than Green Day. And to me, Green Day are one of the biggest bands in the world. But in their home country, our artist, Enya, who could only have come from Ireland, that's the really extraordinary thing, is that the music industry has had 20 years, more than 20 years, to deliver another Enya. Like, it's such a great business model. It's just one person. Yeah. It's easy to transport around, <laughs> not too much yeah, luggage. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You don't need a van. No. <laughs> you know, it comes you down don't to those simple anything. things. Yeah, it comes down to yeah. those simple things. But she has had a, an incredible career without ever having to do the things that maybe you call them compromise, you know, yeah. where you've got to say the right thing in interviews or you've got to do the right show. And if you make a mistake at a show or with a fan, it, it's going to be viral, but there's, you know, Green Day who sold more records than, or than um, Enya who sold more records than Green Day are the Carpenters. And I guarantee you, Louise, on her next record, she'll have sold more records in the States than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Wow, that's insane. She's, she's yeah. very close to their sales. Wow. Right you, but we've, we've only touched on it today, but you are bringing out a book as well in August, aren't you? Yeah, I have I've, I've a book coming out in August, co-written with a, a brilliant guy called Jim Rogers. And it just looks at the Irish music industry from the very start. And because we're a small country and home to brilliant, 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 talented, visionary musicians and, and singers, we've often had to depend on, on outside forces. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I was doing the research, the most 
interesting thing I discovered was that the Irish music industry, the record industry, recording music, it doesn't have a founding father. It has a founding mother who, who doesn't appear in the histories, but uh, a, a, she was a teenager, a woman called Ellen O'Byrne, who emigrated from County Leitrim, and she set up a record label in New York, and that's where the recording of Irish music by Irish people really begins. And wow. she was this brilliant visionary entrepreneur at a time when female entrepreneurs were not that common, even in New York. And she was incredibly successful, but unfortunately she didn't live very long and the company went to the next generation and mm. the Wall Street crash 1929. It, it never it never had a legacy beyond this, this woman's life. So uh, shame, we, yeah. we've a lot to be proud of in terms of, gosh, women had a central role in, in the Irish music industry, both as artists and as entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. The book is called Sounds Irish, Acts Global, Explaining the Success of Ireland's Popular Music Industry. Dr. Michael Murphy, thank you so much for chatting to us. Oh, my pleasure. Take care. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.